everyone. Hope you've had a great week. Thanks for tuning into our podcast and hope it encourages you, inspires you as you go about your week. Here's today's message. If you could get a dollar um, for every, this week ahead, you get a dollar for every time you bump into someone and you give them the customary greeting, g'day, how you going? You don't get a dollar for that. You get a dollar if they say back to you um, in the next, you know, that sentence or the next two or three sentences and they say how busy they are. I'm really busy. And then you get $2 if they go further than just saying, yeah, I'm busy and they screw up their brow and they get a bit of a whingy tone on their voice and say, oh, I'm really busy, too busy. Busy, busy, busy. You know, way, way back in the dark ages when I was a teenager, one of my favourite singers was Chuck Gerard, and he used to sing this song called Busy Day. Here's the lyrics. Do you want me to sing it to you? Busy day, busy day, busy, busy, busy day, busy, 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 busy day. Busy day, busy day. I'm a good singer. Busy, busy. And then then he would... like, look at this, I find, this part I can't sing so well, um, I find that it's a busy day. There's no time to take a minute or two to do the things that I should do, the things that I should do. Keeping up with the pressures I face of the everyday life that I lead. I'm always taking care of things that I want. And then he belts it out, and forgetting all the things that I need. (laughs) The funny thing is that he wrote that song in 1980. (laughs) 44 years ago. And he thought things were busy then. You busy? Busy like trying to trying to fit it all in. You're crushed. You're crushed by it. Hey, you know what I'm saying, don't you? If, if you can feel at the same time squeezed and stretched by your schedule. You're confused because, because you have a really hard time if you're honest, just trying to sort out what your priorities should be. It's like you don't know how to work out what is most important. Or maybe you do know how to work that out. But you're actually having the hardest time trying to implement the priorities because, you, you know, like to do what you should do. Knowing and doing are not necessarily the same thing, are they? I'm so busy. What should my priorities be? How do I put them into practice? You'd feel better, wouldn't you? You you know that. Like You're confident that if you could do a better job of working out what your priorities really should be, and then... If you could implement that, you know, like to, to do what you should do, if you could implement that into your lifestyle consistently, 
then you'd be satisfied, wouldn't you? You would, wouldn't you? Um, I listened to a podcast, Dan Harris is the host. And um, this year, 2024, just for the January, he's been interviewing people and, 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 and well-known people like Brian Stevenson. He's the, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative in America. Like that they, they advocate for people who've been, especially for people on death row, Lawyer, he is um, Pima, Chod- P- Pima, Pima Chodron. She's the Buddhist monk teacher, and he's been interviewing people like these. But he asks them, "What's your what's your non-negotiable? What's the one thing that you simply have to do in your life, no matter what? Hey, what's yours? I know what mine is." We are, as Tass said, uh, just for the month of January, we've done this. In this, this month that's very quiet when, like a lot of people are away and things slow down a lot, you know. Um, and we've done it for the last few years to look at ancient words ever true. Just some random stories out of the Bible, usually out of the Old Testament from the Bible, and and how strikingly relevant they're ancient words but they're ever true so hey today the historical setting for this story it's in Daniel chapter 5 in your Bible and here's the setting for the story we're going to look at that very night it says the Babylonian Belshazzar the Babylonian king was killed and I always used to say Darius the Mede but um, my, my Persian friends Ali and Tanez like You'll know, we don't say Darius, do we? I learned now we say Dariush. Dariush, is that right? Dariush, um, the famous Persian king. So Dariush the Mede, that is present-day Iran, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So Babylon falls to the Medo-Persian military forces. Belshazzar, he, by that time, he's the king of Babylon. He gets murdered, and Dariush the Mede takes over this empire. All right, that's the setting. Darius the Mede, it says in chapter 6, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces and he appointed a prince to rule over each province. Prince or a satrap, that's a Persian official who could rule over any group of people and it could be from a small group to a large province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the princes and to watch out for the king's interests. So they're three top guys, three administrators. Darius was worried because he thinks if he's got 120 satraps, the opportunity for corruption amongst them is very real. So he sets up three supervisors over them and Daniel young or old Daniel by now is one of them he's probably Daniel probably well into his 70s by now he's not a Babylonian he's not a Mede he's not a Persian he's a Jew he'd been exiled from Jerusalem as a teenager he'd served there all these years in the king's court all his life but Darius now sets him up as one of the top officials in the new merged empire because you know what it's well well known after all these years that Daniel was a man of total integrity 
and he's pretty good at what he does. It says in verse 3, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and princes because of his great ability. His great ability. The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So Daniel has this excellent attitude. He's not jealous of his other two colleagues. He doesn't trample on other people in order to be successful. He just does his job. And Darius notices Daniel's hard work, so he then plans to set him above the other two administrators. Darius, Daniel, administrators, satraps. Daniel's going to become the new prime minister. Now, here in Australia, we, we, know, we know well what we call the tall poppy syndrome. It's alive and well in the ancient world too, so sometimes a promotion, it can bring praise and congratulations from your colleagues and your workmates, but other times it creates all sorts of problems. And the others didn't like the fact that Daniel was so successful. So the first thing that these administrators and satraps all tried to do was to try and find something that he'd done wrong. Their intent on finding him out, remember that. Here's my friend, this is Bob Vernon. Bob um, with the hat on, of course. Uh, well, they both got hats on. Bob's, Bob's the gentleman um, to the right of the photo with the hat on. And his wife, Esther, you can just see Esther around the corner there. We're at a football game in Los Angeles. This is during the game. Bob, at the time, was the assistant chief of the Los Angeles Police Department. And very well-known guy because he was the acting chief at the time that the, uh, the Rodney King incident uh, came out. Now, that's uh, many of you are too young to remember that, um, but this is in the 1990s, and that led to the LA, uh, to, to, to riots in Los Angeles. And uh, so Bob, very well-known guy, um, and, and a public face. And so this young kid recognised him, and people did recognise him at the football game that night, and come up and wanted to have his photo with Bob. Um, and here is Bob earlier that night. Um, you can see it's dark in the first photo, but that's later. Earlier in the night, here's Bob, and he's giving what they call the invocation at the start of this football game. So next photo, if that's all right. See, I took a photo of him. He's up on the screen. He's down on the field now. <laughs> like, I don't think this is happening too much anymore in America, but back then, this was in 1990, uh, they, the invocation, you pray before the game starts. So Bob's the guy that's there to... Pray. He's the assistant chief of the police department. You know, this guy, Bob, for all the years that he was such a public figure, uh, he had people going after him the whole time. Um, he's written a couple of books. Um, he wrote a book after the riots. It's called LA Justice, it's called. Um, and what he said, not in a, in a whinging, complaining sort of way, but what he said was that when his integrity was questioned, he said that these people, he said, it's like all these people are saying, we have a motive, let's find a crime. He's a good man with total integrity, let's see what we can hunt him down for. The chief of the police at the time, Daryl Gates, um, Daryl Gates uh, he passed away some years later, but he wrote a book as well. 
Um, and in the front of his book, you know, you give the acknowledgements in the front of the book, and he writes there, he, he acknowledges Bob Vernon. And he says, Bob Vernon, a much maligned guy who stayed loyal to the end. These satraps and administrators want to go after Daniel and get something wrong with him. Then the other administrators and princes began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and always responsible. You see, that's what integrity is. You're the real deal. You're the same in private as you are in public. You don't do things that are wrong and you don't tell lies and you don't do things that mean you would have to tell lies to cover them up. It's integrity. Daniel's record was spotless. He had not done anything wrong. And so then these guys keep going. They go way beyond his work performance and his public life. They start investigating his personal world as well. They ramp up their plan. Look at this. So they concluded they haven't found anything wrong in his conduct of government affairs. Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel, look at this, will be in connection with the requirements of his religion. They knew this old man well enough to know, everyone knew, if they're going to trip him up, then they're going to have to find something to do with his God. They knew that he'd keep that faith, no matter what. What is the most important thing in your schedule, my friend? What is it? What was it in Daniel's? What is it that, that this guy, that they're going to trip him up and he's so intent on it that is the, the most obvious thing about him? We go to your friends, friends in the church, friends out of the church. We go to your family, we go to the people you live with and we say, what is it that's the most important thing in your life? They know. They know. What, what has to happen in your schedule? What, like what for you, Brian Stevenson, Pima Chodron, what's the, what's the non-negotiables? You know, I've actually, I've, I've worked this through in my life. I've got, I've got these things written down. I they haven't been writing so I can review them regularly. And I've actually got now, I've got 10 daily rituals that I call them. They're 10 things that I want to do every day. But for me then, and, and I mean, I know this is called the most important thing in your schedule. Um, I've got two, but if push comes to shove, one's going to win. There are two that I cannot and will not do without, no matter what. Come hell or high water. The only thing that's gonna stop me doing those things is if I'm unconscious. 
That's how it is for me. So look here, the administrators and the princes went to the king and they said, long live King Dariush. We administrators, prefects, princes, advisors and other officials have unanimously agreed, not quite right because Daniel's one of them and he hasn't unanimously agreed. Anyway, that your majesty should make a law that will be strictly enforced. We all agree you should make a new law, it should be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, Anyone who prays to anyone except to you, your majesty, will be thrown to the lions. And let your majesty issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, a law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. They tricked the king into signing a law prohibiting anyone from praying to any God or man or anything except to the king himself. Stroke the king's ego, long live King Darius. Anyone who prays to anyone except you because you're so important. And he signs it really quickly. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed because he wasn't part of the original discussion. When he learned that the law had been signed, look what he did. He went on, what's the most important thing? And knelt down as usual, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Just as he'd always done. Just as everyone knew he'd always done. Friends, the most important thing in my schedule is to pray. And I know as soon as we say that, chances are high that you sit there and say, I already know that. how many times we spoke like you've been in church more than three times you've heard someone talk about praying haven't you and how important it is been in church more than three times you're going to have heard someone some preach preacher so what do we make of that Hayley and I were just chatting about this yesterday. She was asking about, you know, what do you go through getting ready to preach? And we were just chatting about this. And I said, like, I always like trying to steer away from things that are cliches, you know, things that we just say a thousand times over. And I'm thinking probably prayer and love, they're they're probably the, well, they're spoken a million times over. In any church. But does that mean, because we've spoken about him a million times in this church or in any other church, does that mean that what we've spoken about is not true? 
It doesn't, does it? Most important thing in my schedule is to pray. Jesus, Son of God, it's early in his time on earth, early in his ministry. He's at, um, he's at, at Capernaum. Every Sabbath day, it tells us, he goes to synagogue, he teaches the people, and the people are like utterly amazed and enamored with it, and he leaves the synagogue one day, you know, like this, even evil spirits obey him, they say. He can cast out the evil spirits, and, and, and the news has spread like wildfire. He leaves the synagogue, he's got his best friends with him, they go to Simon's and Andrew's home. Simon's mother-in-law is sick in bed, she got a high fever. And they told Jesus about her right away, it says. So there's no let up, there's no break. He just wanted to go and have a cup of tea and sit down and relax. He helps her, he heals her, word gets around about that. And so then very quickly, and that evening by sunset, there is, and I quote, a huge crowd of people from all over Capernaum. And they're gathered around outside the house. You've been in a house like that before? Remember on a trip, uh, Deb and I, uh, years ago, a mission trip in Papua. It's, it's, uh, it, it was called Irianjaya back then, the, the, the western part of the island of Papua New Guinea. It's part of Indonesia. And we would, you know, in that little ramshackle, little mission house that we were staying in, and we would always have kids looking in the window at us and waiting for us. And then if we just went for a walk in the morning, we'd have all these kids with us. And like we'd have people staring through the window just watching us. So pretty soon that night, there's people all around. Lots of sick people. Many different kinds of diseases and demons and all sorts. Who knows how long it goes for? And you know what it says in Mark chapter 1? The next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. My two non-negotiables in my life, one is to pray. The The other one for me is exercise. Um, but if we're going to push and shove and we just, there's no way I could fit in both, then we're going to pray no matter what. And you're thinking, oh, Jeff, that, that, that's, well, you know, it's, it's not necessarily all that good. You know, I can tell you, like, I grew up in an environment where, where we're always being told, always being told about the quiet time. Have a quiet time. Every day, have time where you know, read your Bible, pray every day. You know, like, and, and what that did, again, even though it was said a million times over, doesn't mean it's not true, but what it did was it produced in me, and I know it's produced in, in so many of us, this, this sense of, I have to do this. I have to pray. And so then I'd try and try and try and try, feel incredibly guilty when I didn't do it, go for weeks, months at a time without doing it, you know, then, and then I'm going to do it, you know, hear a sermon on prayer. 
They're like, I'm going to go home and, and tomorrow morning I'm getting up at 3.30 tomorrow morning and I'm going to pray and I'm going to do this. And, and then I'd get up at 3.30 and then the next morning it was a little harder. I'd get up at, you know, 10 past four. And then the next morning it'd be more out to six o'clock and the next morning back to normal. So if I'm standing here now as a 57-year-old guy telling you prayers indispensable, do you know... Like I also want to tell you, by God's grace, there's not one iota. There's not one ounce in there of that I have to do that. Not for one second do I feel like I have to. And I'm sure I wouldn't feel guilty if I didn't. I just... I just need to. And therefore I want to. I would be sad if it meant I couldn't. I'd be grumpy. Keep with me. Because that's the, that's the truth. But it doesn't necessarily just happen like that. Look at this. The psalmist said, I rise early before the sun is up. We could talk for that, uh, about that for a long time. Um, and I just read a really good article this morning. It just came through. There's a, an email that I get. Just read it this morning um, about um, the making... Uh, George Mueller had this saying where he said, the biggest thing that I would try and do each morning is to make my soul happy in God before I would do anything else. And so this article this morning was talking about no matter what you feel, and it talks about how, it's, you know, these days we just say, oh, I'm not, I'm not a morning person. I'm not wired to get up in the morning. <laughs> well, like, I was never wired to get up in the morning either. Um, I'm personally a real big advocate on morning. Not, not, not just night. Um, but anyway, we could talk about that another time. Look at this, I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. Daniel, he's a man of purpose, but not just a purpose. You see, friends, prayer was his habit. Prime minister in waiting that he was, prayer was still, was more than ever, the most important thing in his schedule. Now, you're like, well, why? If you're going to pray, like, you don't have to pray in public so that everyone sees you. Well, you know, there is real importance about him praying in that way. His windows open towards Jerusalem. This is Old Testament times. The Jerusalem temple is considered by the Hebrew people to be the center of God's earthly attention. So he's got those windows facing in the direction 3,000 kilometers away of Jerusalem. And he prays three times because that's, that, that, is, that, that, that is the tradition of his religion. That is the tradition of what, what a God-fearing person would do in that time. 
So he stays true to that. Look at this. The officials went together. They knew they would. Went together to Daniel's house and found him praying, asking for God's help. So they went back to the king, reminded him about the law. Hey, did you sign a law? And he said, yeah, yeah, I did, the king said. That decision stands. They just wanted Darius confirming what he'd said before they break the bad news. They know it'll be bad news to Darius because Daniel is his favourite and most senior and trusted employee. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, he's paying no attention to you or your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king's very angry with himself for signing the law. He tried to find a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day in the law library (laughs) trying to find a loophole, some way to get Daniel out of this predicament. But the officials didn't let up. They reminded him that your majesty knows that this law, and this is a tradition of the Medes and the Persians, that 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 the law, when it's made by the king and sealed with his signet ring, cannot be revoked. And so... The law can't be changed. He'd been trapped. And it's too late now. Daniel's pretty smart too because he knew that the law couldn't be changed even before he did what he did. So what in that situation, what would you have done? What would you have done? Most important thing in my schedule is to pray no options left now for Darius. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, may your God, whom you worship consistently, rescue you. Godly old man in his 70s. And he's thrown into a Moroccan lion's den. It's a large square cavern under the earth. And it's surrounded by a wall about a meter high around the top. And a stone is brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel from the lions. So Daniel's stressed. Look at this. The king spends all night in his palace fasting. He refuses his usual entertainment. He can't sleep that night. Very early the next morning, he gets up. He hurries down the lion's den. It's the first light of dawn. He hasn't had any food. He hasn't had any sleep. It's almost as if he half wondered if Daniel's God might save him. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you worship continually, able to rescue from the lion's And Daniel answers like he screams out from inside the lion's den, Long live the king! My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so they not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Then the king gave orders to arrest the man who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them them thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and children. And that... (laughs) Oh, like, why is that? Well, that was routine at the king's command when a man committed a serious crime. Um, so went the wife and children. And the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. How did the most powerful man on earth get to the stage of that? And Because if you read those next few verses, you know, like... He starts talking, decreeing, legislating about God. And he, he says to people, you know, like, this is King Darius. He says, 
For he is the living God. He'll endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. How did he come to talk like that? You know, like it's a guy just like you and me who stuck to what he knew to be right, had his priorities worked out and hung on to them. So what would you have done? What would you have done? Do you know, friends, what prayer will do? It'll change you. We, you know, we, we, we've, got, we've got so many images and things in our head about prayer, you know, and it's, my goodness, like it, if I had a dollar for Every time I've been to a prayer meeting, I'm like, man, it's just, it's just hard work, you know. Prayer, song by the Lord. You know, and, and this, this feeling of it's hard work and I've got to do this and do that. And... This image, it just builds up this, this, this negative image of prayer. Instead of understanding that, that to pray, it'll first and foremost change you. And so you actually then find yourself gradually moving out of, you know, so when we pray, just asking God to help you. This is, this is true in our church at the moment. Especially, like I'm sure for, for many, most of you too, but certainly from a leadership perspective, hey, it's not lost on us just how, how tough this last 12 months have been. Um, and, and when we look up here at our worship team during January... Many people are away, sure, but our worship team is now, at the moment, less than a quarter of what it was at this time last year, after everything that's happened. So when we pray, and we do, the natural way to pray, what are we, and that's just one example that I could give you. There's so many examples, and you've got a whole lot too. What's the natural way to pray? You've got a quarter of the people, God, God, please, please help us. Please give us more people. We need more people. Um, and there, there's nothing wrong with praying that. It's a good prayer. But as you grow in prayer, you learn to pray more too. Okay. So we're trusting in a God who is all-loving, who's all-powerful, who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, who we know loves this church, not more than he loves other churches, but he loves this church as he loves others. So that's the God we're praying to, the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine. That's his promise to us in Ephesians chapter 3. That's the God we're praying to. 
So what that means is we are in this situation and it's not a big surprise to God. It's not like God going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? I didn't know that was... That's the God we're praying to. So what about if other than just saying, God, please give us more people, what about if we then start saying, God, what are you, what are you saying to us? We're listening. So this is called seeking God's face. Prayer is not all about just saying, God, please bless me. Please help me. It is about that, but so much more. God, what are you saying to me? And you see... When you get into the situation in your life and you're asking him what he thinks about the questions that you've got and the challenges that you're facing, what's what's his heart on that issue? What's his perspective? And you see, then you keep doing that no matter what someone else, no matter what someone else is saying to you, or about you, or doing to you, or behind you, or manipulating or maneuvering around you, in that situation, no matter what someone else is doing, you can always be asking, what's God's conversation with me? What's God saying to me? So, hey, we're out of time. Here's three really quick suggestions about prayer. First one, I want to suggest accept the importance of prayer as the most important thing in your schedule. Now, honestly, it'll need to be more than an intellectual ascent because, as I said earlier, I think most of us would probably just about make that intellectual ascent. It'll need to be more than a church peer pressure nod. Yeah, good point. Um, that, that won't cut it. And it won't do any more for you most of the time than just make you do your best and strain at every edge to try and get there and then end up feeling guilty and unspiritual because you're not doing it. So right now, at this stage, with these three quick suggestions, I'm suggesting don't worry about praying. Just think through and ask the Holy Spirit. You can ask him this even right this moment. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to actually have revelation as to how important this really is. Most important thing in my schedule is to pray. Now hang in with me. I'm suggesting that next then, so you're accepting that truth, you're asking him to help you to see it. And the second thing we're doing is we're learning and understanding. And here's the point, that prayer is an art and it is learned over time and by practice. There's only one way to learn to pray. Can you guess what it is? It's to pray. Um, it's an art, it's learned over time and by practice. It usually starts with discipline and with effort. But I will guarantee you, as you stick with it, it grows. Most important thing in the schedule is to pray. And finally, commit yourself to pray as the most important thing in your schedule. You want to pray with me now? 
And just imagine with me, just sort of dream with me for a second as we're praying. Um, sure, if, if you're visiting with us from another church this morning, like you, you can apply exactly what I'm saying to your church, I'm sure. And I think that's a good idea if you do. If you're part of this church, imagine, dream with me. Let's all dream together for a second. What is, what is a family of God in a local church? What does it look like for people who are, as we say often here in our church, who are radically devoted to prayer? What does it look like to be part of a community that's like that? This year, next week, as we unfold the, the rhythm that we'll have in the church for this year, and we've done a lot of work on it so that we've spaced it out so that we're not trying to fit too many things in at once, but the rhythm that we've got. And so once a quarter, four times for the year, we come together on a, for encounter and we come together to pray. And dream with me because you see, if, pray, if we're radically devoted to prayer, then encounter potentially becomes one of the largest attended events on our church's calendar. It's not, it's not just 20 or 25 of the same old faithful who turn up. It's everyone, young, old, in between. You wanna dream with me? Dream with, dream, like what does it look like in your family? As your people who pray and, and mum and dad, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not spiritual gurus. Um, they feel like they never will be. But what do their kids see? Their kids see a, a mum and a dad and, and somehow or other they know that for mum and dad to pray really, really matters. I know where to find my dad. I'll find him sitting in that chair there every morning and he'll be there for a few minutes praying. Husbands and wives that pray together last thing at night before they go to sleep and they pray and they, they pray for their family and their kids, they pray for their relatives, they pray for their church. People who just pray for their church and say, God, I, I, like, I, I want my church I want the church that I'm part of. Um, I, I want to make a really valuable contribution to that because I know that church has the most important job on earth. And so I'm praying and I'm crying out to you, God. I'm calling out aloud to you for my church to be a church that's making a real difference for your kingdom. Not just talking about it, but making a real difference. People who pray like that, can you imagine with me? So, Lord, finally, I just want to take what we've said today and please, please, Lord, please just really ask you this as sincerely as I can possibly ask. Um, please don't let this be another cliche for us. Please, um, please could it be one that we, we say, yeah, prayer is the most important thing in my schedule, please. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thanks, Alan.